Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better at Aquavita. Visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Welcome to High Stakes, Episode 6. I'm your host, Neil Orfield, and my guest today has dozens of six-figure wins across multiple sports, but probably most impressively, won the FanDuel Live Championship in baseball in 2018, and then followed it up with wins in the FanDuel NBA World Championship in 2021, where he took both first and second place. John, uh, we were introduced, sort of. I mean, we, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter, but we were uh, introduced more formally by RINPAC just a couple weeks ago uh, when I assume you were at the FanDuel Live Final at that time. Is that the case? Yeah, exactly. New Orleans. So I, I was defending the championship. I, I did not defend the championship, but I, I was attempting to. Uh, and yeah, I was talking to RINPAC, and, and he's, you know, he set this up. So uh, yeah, it's good to be talking to you. you. You've had some heavy hitters on so far on on the podcast, so I, I think it's good you're changing it up and having me on instead. So uh, I don't know yeah. how many how many people do you think have won uh, multiple live finals. I don't think uh, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short, not calling yourself a heavy a heavy hitter. You're also I think top top 35 in the Roto Grinders rankings currently, so uh, not not doing too bad yourself. But I'm curious, what happens to uh, the belt after you lose? Do you have to give up the belt to the guy who won this year, the person who won this year? People were asking that. And no, you don't. It has the year on it. At least mine does. Okay. It says 2021. But I actually, I, I thought like, oh, if I if I had to give this up, I wouldn't have brought it to New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, that um, would have been the right call. Just leave it at home. Yeah, they they actually they had a new one for uh, for that stunner who won it this year. Yeah, um, it's it's a funny story. They actually didn't have any belt or trophy. I actually did text my VIP rep and I said like, hey, like because we did it at home. It was it was the virtual finals. Yeah, yeah. During COVID. And I said, like, do you guys have a trophy or a belt or anything? And he's like, no, we weren't going to do that. I was like, well, could you? You know, <laughs> and they, yeah. they ended up sending me something. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a big tournament to win. I would definitely want the belt. That's something you can keep forever. Uh, I'm in a, a dynasty league, and I won the first year uh, last year. And then I lost it this year, and I have to give it up now, which not a big fan of that. I want to keep my belt. So I'm kind of jealous of you that you get to keep your live final belt. That's, that's a pretty big accomplishment, fun to have. Um, let's get into your background a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, what, what kind of background do you have? I've been asking everybody this. What kind of background do you have in statistics? I feel like that's a, a big part of DFS in general. And like I myself don't have any kind of formal training in statistics. I think a lot of people do. Uh, where, where do you fall in that spectrum? Any, any formal training or is it all kind of self-taught? 
a little bit of formal training. Like I, I went to Carnegie Mellon, I, I majored in econ, and so I was like two, two semesters of statistics, and then I, I got an MBA, and that was two more semesters of statistics, but it was like the same, same classes over again. And I don't remember really any of that. I mean, I guess the, the foundational training was probably good, but I, I remember those classes. There's always stuff like degrees of freedom and T-tables and uh, stuff you have to look up in the back of the book. And I, I can't remember what any of that was used for. But like, I remember kind of what the concept of a standard deviation is and like, the difference between like average and or mean, median, and mode, stuff like that. So I guess yeah. the foundational training was probably good. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's not a whole lot more than what I have. I mean, those are all kind of concepts that I sort of understand just based on my limited, you know, math in, in high school and stuff. So uh, not, not a ton of formal training there, um, although probably it, it helps uh, to have that kind of degree. Um, but then how, how did you get into DFS? So if you weren't, you know, into uh, statistics originally, were you a big sports fan or, or what, what drew you into DFS? Or you come from, from uh, poker? Tell me about yeah. how you got involved. So actually, I have, I think one of the more unique, like, backstories for how I got into DFS, it was actually from season-long leagues. Um, so my wife is actually really against gambling. So is my, my father-in-law. Uh, my, my wife's first job after college was uh, in a divorce law firm. <laughs> so she was, like, combing through the financial statements with people, right, where it all went really, really poorly. Um, and my, my father-in-law is a, a financial planner, and he's, you know, kind of the same, same thing. So both of them are kind of a little bit against gambling. And I was in a season-long league with my friends that I, I've, I'm still in it. It's been going on for about 25 years now. It was a couple hundred dollars a year, and I didn't even like that. <laughs> but I, I won the league a few times, um, and so that gave me like a couple thousand dollars in winnings that we kind of said I could do what I wanted with. Uh, and I started playing the Yahoo season-long leagues for money. Now, it's like probably 2012, 2013. I had about 10 of them for you know $250 each or $100 each, and I doubled my money for a couple of years and then like the ne next year I did like 20 leagues and then I think it was 2014 I had like 70 Yahoo pro leagues that were like $100 each or $250 each and, and this is just with, with random people or like friends right? you just know you just sign up so I basically I took the the money that I won from my the league with friends and I used that as a bankroll for these season-long leagues people I didn't know and I did really well but it was, it was incredibly labor intensive. Like I'd get up at like yeah. 3 a.m. to do like waivers for like all 70 leagues. It would take about five hours. And then I would have like a two hour commute to work uh, on, on top of that. Um, and then, so I had about $20,000 as a bankroll. And by that point, like people knew I was super into fantasy football. So they would say, oh, you know, have you heard of this FanDuel and DraftKings stuff? And so then it, I started in 2014. It was probably my first entry, but I played like a handful of contests. And then in 2015, like I was playing every day, like probably by the beginning of 2015, I was playing every day with that like $20,000 bankroll that I had from the season long leagues. Okay. So you're doing 70 season long leagues at a time Were you, I assume those weren't like uh, the kind of waivers where like you can pick up a player immediately or, or like at any time. Cause I feel like that would be impossible to keep track of if you have the, the style of waivers where it's all, always open, where it's not like a new waiver deadline every day or something. Am I no, right about that? They would, uh, it's, it's like a standard thing. And I, it's probably still the same, like where waivers would run on Tuesday night. And I think it was like 3 a.m. Eastern time. Waivers would finish. So I'd wake up to like pick up the guys who I thought should have been picked up because I didn't want to lose the waiver position, right? So like I wouldn't use my waiver. I'd wait <laughs> and pick the guy up at like 3 a.m. as soon as like it was clear he hadn't been picked up by anybody else. Nice. Okay. 
So it's more like, I guess that's how most leagues are kind of run these days. I feel like I used to be in leagues where it was like you could pick up a player anytime you wanted, and I can't yeah. imagine doing that for more than a few leagues. Uh, I also noticed, actually, while I was looking at your Roto Grinders profile that you have a badge for a season-long championship. Do you know what I'm talking about? What, what's that about? I think it's just the internal Roto Grinders, like either okay. football or basketball. League. I wondered about that. Yeah. I've had a couple of good Roto Grinders, like internal uh, season-long leagues <laughs> or season-long okay. So you started playing DFS 2014, 2015. Uh, were you a winning player right away? And did you immediately play high volume or did you kind of ramp it up over time? No, it was terrible. I So I talked about how like my wife is against gambling and I had this like $20,000 bankroll and I was playing every day in 2015. And I basically got to the point where I had lost that entire bankroll and like a little bit more. And like had that like that terrible like pit feeling like in, in my stomach where like I've lost like too much money. And, but I had one thing that was kind of saving me throughout the whole year is that I, and I was playing like very small volume um, relative to what I do now, but I had a, they had like a, a bracket style survivor pool FanDuel did for football that season. And they had, it, I got a ticket to that and it was a minimum prize of $5,000. And like, if you beat your opponent in round one, you got like $10,000 at least. And you know, if you advance to the next round, you got like 20,000. And so I was basically going to stop playing, but I had this one ticket and I was going to, if I lost in the first round, I was going to take my $5,000 say like, well, I, I'm up, you know, I'm up at least 5,000 for my football career. Right. right. And, um, and I, but I advanced to round three. And so I, I won $20,000. I was even for the year. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to play this anymore. And cause I'm, I'm even, I got out, I got my $20,000 back. Like I'm, I'm done. And I was, I remember texting in my office with a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, the guy that gave the speech at my wedding. And I was telling him like, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he said, well, what was the maximum amount you could have won in any contest over the course of the year? I said, well, they've got million, you know, million makers every week. And I entered those, but I didn't win the million. And he was saying, well, if you broke even over the course of a year and you had a chance, like you had a free option for a million dollars some, some weeks, right? Like you kind of won something, right? So he's like, I think you should keep doing that. And everybody needs that friend to convince them to continue gambling when they're like, I should really stop, you know? Yeah. And, and, but it did, I, I kept going as well. Yeah, maybe he's right. Like maybe I should, I should keep going a little bit. And then I think it was that NBA season. I started winning a couple of GPPs, like less than 50,000. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I think, you know, 20,000 or something. And I, I ended that year with a pretty good profit and I was shocked. Like, I think I probably won about 20,000 or 30,000 that year with a couple of GPP wins late in 2015. And then like, I haven't been like negative since then, thankfully. Well, and do you ever, uh, so it sounds like you did have success pretty quickly. I'm just curious, cause I know you, you use RotoTracker. You mentioned it on the theory of DFS spot. Do you ever look back at your results from those early years and like, look at the, the 1% charts. Does it, does it look similar to how it does now? Or cause for me, it was like, it was terrible. Looking, looking at my early days, I started 2013 and I look at my first few years and I was like, they were all over the place. I wasn't putting nearly enough lineups uh, in the top 1%. Have you ever kind of gone back and tracked that at all? No, I haven't, but I will after the show. That's actually a great question because I, I generally look year over year, but I've probably never gone back that far. Like, I think I signed up for right, this tracker in like 2020, and I probably looked at like my 2018 results compared to 2020, and then, you know, 2021, I looked compared, I, I've probably never gone back that far. That would actually be interesting. I, I should. Yeah, I was just, but I mean, you, you had success right away, so it's probably not 
quite the same as mine. If you if you won a GPP in like your second year, you know that's at least one lineup that you put into the top one percent. So I would imagine it looks a little bit better than mine did. Uh, but I was Maybe. just just curious that about that. That would be good for like generate generating regret, right? Like I, oh, I should have been right. entering so much more money. <laughs> right, right. Back when it was so much softer back then, you could just you could have had all the money if you had just played. Yeah, uh, more more volume. So did you? When did you start 150 maxing, or or did you? I mean, I think before, like the the 150 max limitation is pretty new. Like I think that's only a couple, few years old, maybe. So when did you start playing? You know, over 100 lineups on a given day. So probably 2016. I, I remember my first fifty thousand dollar win was in 2016, and it, it was a funny story because yeah, you could do up to 500 lineups, and I was it was on DraftKings, and I uploaded my my file, and it. I uploaded it so late that out of the 500 lineups, like only 397 or something like of the 500 loaded. Uh, so some of them loaded, but it, like in that split second, it cut off. And like the lineup that actually won the 50 grand was like lineup 394 out of 397 or something like that. Um, so I know in 2016, I was doing a, a ton of lineups and I'm, I'm actually kind of happy they cut it down to 150 because <laughs> yeah. like that was out of control. Like we, they shouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> um, so what happened with the other 100 and three lineups was it were they just dupes of, of whatever your dummy was or yeah probably probably just dupes okay and at that point there was there was no late swap uh am i correct about that i don't even know it was fanduel i feel like fanduel just added late swap like two years ago or two or three yeah, years ago. i mean late swap is a huge edge and I, I remember for years trying to figure out like why do i do so well fanduel nba and not DraftKings nba and it's like oh because everybody's late swapping except for you right <laughs> um so yeah I had that same realization. I didn't didn't really use late swap the first several years I played, unless it was like, oh, your player's out, then I would swap that player out. But like, you know, obviously it's so much more useful to use it whenever any kind of news comes out, even if it doesn't directly impact one of your players, somebody else might, you know, suddenly project a lot better than them. But yeah, it took, took me a few years to figure that out for sure. Um, so you've won at several different sports, at least, at least four different sports that I counted that you have uh, six figure wins. Uh, do you have a favorite to play? And is it the same? Do, do you think that there's a sport that you have the biggest edge in? It's basketball. I think basketball for both. And I, I think it's, it's not even close. Uh, just the way the basketball scoring is every other sport is so event driven that, you know, you you're watching a football game or a slate of football games and everything's the same, right? Some guys are getting some rushing yards but then, and then there's a touchdown and everything goes crazy, right? All of the wheels on DraftKings and the little alien guys on FanDuel move back and forth. Like NBA, they're just constantly moving. And it's, that's really appealing, especially like if there's a bunch of games going on at the same time, like it's, I just can't put it down. Like I'm one of those guys I have to, to be watching. I'm on my phone. I'm watching the the positions move around. I'm watching the games at the same time. So it's basketball. I'll, I'll say, also say that MMA is close. Like MMA is, and I'm not as anywhere near as successful at MMA as I am at basketball, but MMA is something I never would have looked at if it wasn't for DFS. But like the, that Saturday night experience, like being on Twitter and everybody's drinking and yelling at each other online and right. complaining about the judges scoring, that's, that's kind of fun too. So MMA is a second post. In MMA, I mean, you have pretty small sample size. Like maybe over time, you will have as much success at MMA as you do for NBA. It just happens once a week, so you just you can't build up quite the same sample size as you do for NBA. Um, I like that description of the little alien guys on on FanDuel. I've never heard that before, but yeah, they do kind of look like little aliens. Um, yeah, I, I think I feel the same way. NBA is just 
seems like it's it's my biggest edge as well. Definitely my the most that I put into the one percent buckets. And there's just so many different ways to find edge in NBA uh, with projections and with late swap and, and stuff. So I think I'm on the same page as you there. Um, let's talk process a little bit. So I've been asking everybody kind of the same questions. Do you use any simulations uh, from from? Do you make your own simulations or do you use any outside sources? Do you do, do simulations as part of your process? No, I, I don't. I don't understand it. I don't understand what people talk. And it, it intimidates me when people talk about it because I'm like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. And uh, but I, I do think that it's it's another way to get maybe a 150 lineup set or a 20 lineup set or whatever you're whatever you're putting together. So I understand that aspect of it, but no, I, I don't use simulations. I don't really understand it either. That's why I keep asking people about it. I'm like, man, this seems seems like it's kind of the future potentially. Uh, but I don't really know how to do it. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued by it, a little bit scared of it, you know, because it could just totally change the landscape of DFS. So I'm always just curious, like, who, who's getting ahead of me right now using these simulations to make lineups for them? Um, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're another who's uh, not taking advantage of something that I don't understand uh, to beat me. Uh, I know that you do use an optimizer because you're a 150 max would be kind of impossible to 150 max uh, without using an optimizer. But do you use your, do you create your own projections from scratch? I've gone back and forth. I, I think in, so in 2015, I probably was aggregating projections. And I, I think I used, because Yahoo season-long leagues had those like projections, weekly projections for both uh, football and basketball. And I probably just started using those and trying to get like an Excel, a, a solver thing, you know, uh, what was the optimal, optimal projected lineup using those projections. And then and I probably, you know, found some other sources like NumberFire and RotoWire or whatever that were, were pretty big and, and I could combine the projections. I probably did that in 2015. And then I think 2017, 2018, particularly in baseball, I went down the rabbit hole, like creating my own projections. And my, my baseball model was about as thorough of a thing I've done in my life. Like it was uh, every at bat I projected, like how many plate appearances would a guy get? What were his chances of you know, a single, double, triple, stolen base, home run, you know, um, how many plate appearances would be against the bullpen versus the starting pitcher, like park effects. And I had guys minor league statistics in there. If like, if they didn't have enough plate appearances versus lefty or righty in the majors, and it was, it was a way too complex. And I used that for a few years and it gave me my own projections and that was nice. But I realized like, I think 2019, 2020, I did the whole year transposing two columns like I had like stolen bases and, and triples or something like I was using the wrong columns and these are probably the two best columns to like to mix up because they're pretty similar right but I, after that I was like what am I doing like I can't maintain this thing and so I signed up for the bat like last year I actually had a very good uh baseball season using the bat I'm like I'm gonna pay Derek Cardi $300 to do this because that's what he does and he's gonna maintain it and it's, it's basically he's looking at everything that I'm looking at so yeah I um I don't use my own models anymore I'd probably the most accurate description of what I do is just aggregate projections and then adjust as I see fit. Okay. Yeah, that's sim similar. To, I, I don't aggregate, but I do use, I use the Osmo projections as a base and then uh, adjust as I see fit. So sort of a similar process in that way. Uh, one thing you didn't mention in telling that story is that you, you know, screwed up your projections with those, those two columns and had, I believe you said on Twitter, your best baseball season yet at that point, you kind of, you crushed that year. So it didn't hurt you too bad. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, and that's what made me think of like, why, why am I doing it? It was a ton of maintenance work. I was getting like threading errors in Excel. Like I, my laptop couldn't, couldn't keep up. Excel couldn't keep up. And it was, it made baseball as stressful as basketball is, right? Because like a guy would get 
put in the starting lineup and he doesn't have any major league numbers and I'm running to like fan graphs and, and baseball reference to get his like minor league stats and get him plugged into my spreadsheet as quickly as I can to get a projection for him. I should just project eight or whatever, right? Like yeah, he's going to about eight FanDuel points, you know? Um, and so I realized it wasn't worth it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and one thing I've been talking about with uh, a few different DFS pros recently. Um, so I, I consider myself an exploitative DFS player in that my whole process revolves around ownership projections and figuring out how I want to get different than the field. And I've heard some very successful DFS players say that they don't use projections at all in their process. So I'm curious where you fall on that spectrum. Do you factor in, uh, sorry, factor in ownership uh, at all? when you are creating your lineups or is that something that you just create the best lineups uh, from a projection standpoint and don't worry about ownership? It, it's interesting because I, I didn't use ownership at first and I would hear people talk about it kind of like simulations, right? And I would say like, oh, you don't need to do that. But I, I remember describing even in 2015, like how I could win DFS contests by saying it's like the NCAA tournament, right? Like in your office bracket pool, 80% of people are going to pick Kansas if they're a three to one favorite they just say well who's going to win this year right and they'll you know kansas is only a 25 percent chance to win it by the vegas odds but 80 percent of people have kansas in the pool and like that's basically ownership like i was describing ownership even as i was saying like, oh you don't need to worry about this ownership projection so i really was thinking about it i don't think about that so much in basketball because i make my own projections um you know or I, at least i have right i'm adjusting projections as i see fit that that I don't necessarily need to um, to worry about ownership. Like if I like a guy, I, I like him whether other people like him or not. But I actually think playing MM MMA during COVID helped me to think about ownership a little bit more because that's one of the few things you have. And so I, I think about it more probably in the last couple of years than I, I did previously. Okay. Yeah. I feel like MMA is one of those sports that there's no correlation. There's, there's nothing really else to it. So I feel like that's kind of the only edge you can find is in ownership discrepancies. And maybe I'm totally wrong about that, but that seems to be, I mean, it's the way I play for sure is just trying to get different than the field. So you don't get duped a hundred times or you're not competing with a bunch of very similar lineups. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and how much time do you spend typically on a slate? So let, let's talk NBA first. Uh, what, what time are you typically starting your NBA process? What does your preparation look like? It depends if I have to do content. If I have to do content, I'm probably looking at it earlier than I would otherwise. But there's days where I won't really look at it until 5 o'clock Eastern time, 5.30 Eastern time. I actually, I used to have a thing where I would set a lineup the night before of guys that I thought were noteworthy. Because I, I would tend to watch the games more so than I, I do now. And I would put in a, the $1 dribbler at the time, right? Like I would, when I could still play it, I would pick a lineup of guys who I really liked, who I thought had good defensive matchups, like they, they're going to be matched up with somebody that can't play defense or somebody that I think is getting more minutes or I may even hear the broadcaster say like, oh, you know, I'm talking to the coach. He's looking to get this guy more involved. And I would make a lineup, one lineup each night of guys like that for the, for the next day's slate. And, but then I really would not look at it at all until maybe, you know, five o'clock and then, you know, five thirty, you're starting to get really relevant injury reports. And then, then you got to you know, really put your lineups together. So when you were doing that, uh, did, did you still create lineups that would typically add up to close to the max salary cap? Or was it just literally just like, these are guys that interest me. So it could be all min price guys that interest you. Um, what, what were you doing there? Because I that sounds similar to what I do in that, uh, or what I used to do. I don't really do it as much anymore. I've kind of just like recently in the, in the past few weeks, I've stopped doing this as much. But typically what I've always done is create a lineup that 
seems interesting to me and is a viable actual lineup. And then oftentimes I'll only crunch 149 and keep, you know, one of my, my placeholder lineup. Um, I, I've kind of gone away from that now. I just kind of use the optimizer, but I'm curious if that, if that's what you do, where you create like one actual, like pretty good lineup of players that interest you, or are you just kind of throwing in eight players or nine players, I think on FanDuel um, that all interest you and you're not really worried about actually making a good lineup? I would try to make a viable lineup just in case I forgot to change it, which, okay. which had probably happened a couple of times. That's why I would do it in a $1 dribbler or, or you know, a low dollar contest. Uh, but I would, there were a couple of times when there'd be so many guys that were at a minimum, minimum price that I thought were interesting that I would leave a lot, ton of salary on the table and just say, well, I'm going to remember to adjust this, but I want to also want to remember that I like these guys at, at first glance. So I, I would do it both ways, but I'd try to make it a viable lineup if I could. Okay, that makes sense. Just kind of as a as a reminder of who you like when you're just looking at it at a glance, which I think sometimes I think that's a a good thing to do because sometimes it can kind of get lost in the weeds when when there's so much information changing and suddenly new players pop up who look good. And for me, at least, sometimes I totally forget about the players that you know the night before I thought looked good, and then those players smash and then end up regretting it. So uh, I think that's a, a smart approach. Um, what about for MLB? So NBA, you say you usually start looking to hours, maybe an hour and a half. If you're not doing content, uh, you'll start looking around two hours beforehand. Is it the same for MLB? MLB, you can you can look a little bit later, although they have the afternoon slates too. But uh, MLB really, everything's gotten pretty robotic for me. I, I, I used to spend a lot more time on MLB because I, I liked the sports probably more than I, I do now. Uh, and But like now I'm just getting the starting lineups. And I, I know like what the implied run totals are and I know generally what what stacks people are going to be on um and then like i go from there but like baseball i'm probably more willing to spend time earlier in the day on it like because like basketball what's frustrating is you can spend time early on the day then everything's going to change right so it's almost like that time is useless baseball that that time's not going to be useless but you don't necessarily need to spend it either um so like if i have extra time sure i'll, I'll peruse like what starting pitchers are, are going and and what you know what the matchups are what does the weather look like uh, but I don't, you don't need to. Like, so I can start the baseball process later if I have to. Yeah, I think I'm the same way there too. Like I typically start my baseball process way later, but I will also consume content just for the heck of it, you know, sometimes earlier in the day. So I think I'm sort of in the same page there. Uh, what about any other sports that you, uh, do you have a, a much different time frame for any other sports? Do you spend 80 hours a week on MMA or, or, or is it about the same for every sport? So I, I actually have a chess is okay story uh, right. because that's where the 80 hours a week comes from. Right. Yeah, um, yep. And I actually met him in San Francisco and he, I, he has no idea who I am. But he, he changed my life a little bit because um, I met him at the, the San Francisco basketball final. It was DraftKings 2018. I just quit my job the week before and I finished in fourth place in that contest for $200,000. So I, I was feeling really confident because like I, yeah, I just quit my job last week. I got this $200,000 payday. This is fantastic. And I met him after the contest. Like everybody goes out drinking to the bar, you know, next to the hotel or whatever. And I, and I actually, one of my friends from New York knew how I had met him in New York and knew him from New York very, very briefly. And I was talking to Chess is okay. And I, I said, you know, I just won this live final in 2018. I you know, finished fourth place here for $200,000. I, I just quit my job last week. And he says to me, you know, like, how long have you been doing this? And I, I say, like, I've been doing this, you know, since like 2015. He says, do you, have you won a million dollars yet? So I'm like, yeah, with, like, with this $200,000 win, I'm probably over a million dollars in lifetime winnings. And he says to me, if you would quit your job three years ago, you'd have an extra million dollars. Like you should have quit your job three years ago. 
I was like, wow, that's, that's intense. Right. Um, and then, so, so I, it gave me a lot of confidence that I, I could do this. Right. And I, I can go into the higher stakes contests and, and win. And so I started doing that and I immediately went on like a $300,000 downswing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, so angry. Like I should never should have listened to that guy in San Francisco. Um, but it's like, so he kind of affected my life, but you know, thankfully I've come back since then, which, which is good. Uh, but I, I don't spend 80 hours a week, but I actually, I kind of know what he was saying that I probably spend 80 hours a week thinking about DFS. Yep. And I think what he was saying in that interview is he's, he doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to get on to other ventures where he's not thinking about DFS 80 hours a week. And I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I, I'm definitely not spending 80 hours a week in Excel or anything like that. I probably am spending 80 hours a week thinking about DFS and, you know, and thinking about my model and, and entering contests and then watching the games. Um, so I, I, I don't spend 80 hours a week grinding, but it, it is, it's a time consuming process. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. Yeah, and I... I don't think I spend nearly eight hours a week thinking about it and stuff. I think that probably, I actually thought about it a lot more before I got good at it. Like I think that I, when I was newer to DFS, I spent a lot more time thinking about lineups and stuff. And for me, I feel like, I, I mean, I still, I spend a lot of time thinking about DFS. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I feel like it's actually like less so earlier in the day. Like I don't think about the NBA slate until four o'clock central, five o'clock Eastern. And then I'm thinking about it the rest of the night, but like, I don't spend as much time like in the morning thinking about it and stuff. Um, but uh, it's, it sounds like the, the advice that Chess OK gave you ultimately kind of did work out because ultimately you were able to push that edge. Um, I, I feel like that is, that's advice that I've heard him give. Uh, he, he was on the Theory of DFS podcast also, and he was trying to push Blender to uh, stopping such a nit and start, yeah. start, you know, maxing out and playing the higher stakes and stuff. So I think he's big on pushing your edge if you have it. Um, so that's, uh, it's funny that he gave you the same advice several years ago and ultimately you did, and it's, uh, it's been paying off. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Blender shouldn't be such a nit. I, I don't know if you saw last night. Yeah. <laughs> big I did. Win. I did. Yeah. Yeah. He had an okay night last night. Let me take a quick break from this conversation with John Breslin to tell you about our sponsor, NoHost Advantage. NoHost Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field. Over 500 player props are offered and all new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESOMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. NOAS Advantage has mass entry capability and big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our NOAS Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. So we got a, a listener question uh, about NBA. So Alex K14 asks, in NBA Classic for a normal uh, slate of five plus games, um, can you talk about your approach to identifying which shock is good shock and which shock is bad shock? 
it's it's somewhat slate dependent, but I will say like the value, right? Like the just the projected points divided by the you know, the salary is a, is a good indicator because sometimes you'll have these guys that they just have the best value for the night, and it's like you know it's five and a half or something like that. But you know they're they're not even starting; they're just everybody's in their regular role for the entire slate, so there's no screaming value plays. But like this guy is going to be you know sixty percent owned because he's the best value out of a bunch of crappy values. But like other times, you see this guy like Obi Toppin, you know, last the last couple of nights, right? Where he's gonna play thirty something minutes. He's priced around 3,000, 3,500. He's gonna get good usage because like Julius Randle is sitting. Like that's a chalk you do not want to fade. I mean, even if it busts, right? Like even if he gets hurt the first play of the game, it was still screaming value exceeding anything else on the slate. So like if if somebody's like screaming value exceeding anything else on the slate and exceeding like a numerical thing beyond other days, then you do not want to fade that chalk. Like bad chalk is guys that have tentative minutes who are going to be highly owned, you know, and they're not that great of a value relative to other slates. Right. Yeah. Some days are just guys are chalk because there's no good chalk. Like, so, so bad chalk becomes the guys that the guy that, uh, the guy that people play because they have decent enough projections that they just make it into optimal builds. So then they, even though they are unlikely to hit a ceiling and they're, you know, they don't actually project that well, if they just project a couple points higher than the next best cheap guy, sometimes bad chalk will, you know, make it uh, be become chalky, you know, even though they're not a great play. Is that kind of what you're, yeah, kind of what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. Okay. Uh, let's talk about live finals a little bit, because in, in your Roto-Grinders profile, you're described as a live final specialist, and as we've mentioned, uh, you you have you took first place in the 2018 FanDuel World Fantasy Basketball Ch Baseball Championship, and both first and second in the 2021 FanDuel World Fantasy Basketball Championship. Uh, you've obviously you've had a lot of success in other tournaments as well, but these ones really stick out to me as, as somebody who doesn't do a whole lot of live finals, uh, and, and these ones are obviously some of your highest prize pools. I mean, I don't, I don't know, is 500,000 for one of them. Uh, is that the, the highest you've won in one single lineup? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. last year, like the, uh, the 2021 FanDuel Basketball Championship, I got, I got first and second, and that was by far my best night ever. You know, so 500,000 for first and, and 200,000 for second. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty solid night. Uh, and you mentioned that you got fourth in the DraftKings Basketball Championship a few years ago. That was, you say 200,000? Yeah, so that was that was San Francisco. That was the two hundred thousand. I I lost that very shortly after <laughs> um, after winning it. But <laughs> right. um, but yeah. So and then I actually have a third. I have a big trophy from the the DraftKings uh, two thousand twenty baseball live final. I finished third place. But it was only seventy five people. It was like the COVID baseball oh, yeah, final yeah. for like the half season. So I think it was like a sixty thousand dollar win. But I, I got a nice like bronze trophy out of it. Um, nice. And yeah, I think those are. I think that's. All of my top 10 live final finishes i okay i went through a phase like 2018 to 2000 really 2021 where i just cleaned up seats though like i i think i was the only one no I, it was me and jeff el jefe we both had five seats to the 2018 nfl fan duel and the 2019 fan nba live final uh and then and i i generally have had like four or five seats for uh for FanDuel NBA and, and MLB live finals. What what is the max for those contests? They change it every year actually and this year I think it was seven. Okay. And I actually at the beginning of the year I thought, oh well this is great. I'm gonna have seven seats to the <laughs> to the FanDuel uh basketball final. 
but actually I, I ended up with two. I had two first place finishes and seven second place finishes, which is like crushing, <laughs> crushing. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's pretty brutal. But I mean, it was, it was good to go down there and, and, and have fun. Um, and they've, but yeah, I think for most of the time it's been five seats and, and a couple of those seasons, I got five final seats in like, like 27 qualifiers. Like I just cleaned up. Okay. And what, what attracted you to live final qualifiers to begin with? Because it seems like it's kind of a big focus for you. I mean, you play obviously a lot of other tournaments as well, but I feel like of the pros, uh, you play live finals, you, you focus on live finals, I think more than most. So what, what attracted you to live finals uh, to begin with? I think just luck. Like I, I didn't do it until 2018. Like I, I would occasionally looking back at my, my history files, right. I, I would occasionally play a qualifier. I have no idea why I would play them in like 2016 or 2017. Like what would make me play it versus not play it probably overlay. Uh, and then, you know, to, 2018 early in the baseball season, I think it was April, 2018. I entered one. It was, there was probably overlay or something like that. And I, I probably entered, you know, whatever the maximum number of lineups was, and I won it. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I've been doing this for years, and I've never won a live final seat. I can't believe I won this. And then I'm going to try try again tomorrow night, see what happens. I tried again the following night, and I won two nights in a row. So I, so after not winning a live final seat for years, I, I won, won them in back-to-back -back nights, and that was for the final that I, I eventually won. And I, I went out there to San Diego. I got two more seats over the course of the season. And so I had four seats going out there. And I thought it would, it would be the only time I ever did this, but it, it wasn't like I won it. And then it's kind of the rest of history. Cause then I, I took that bankroll and then I played, you know, I maxed out the uh, football qualifiers and I got five seats for that. And then same thing. I got five seats for the basketball qualifier the following season for FanDuel. And then I started getting like DraftKings seats uh, and I would generally do pretty well. So at the live finals, but I, I don't know if there was anything that made me better at the live finals themselves that those first couple of, of tries, but like once I did do well, I just said, well, this is my thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's funny for me. I never had any interest in live finals. Like it's not something that I ever really tried for until I, you know, sort of just happened on a tournament of champions ticket when I won the Millie a couple of years ago. Um, and then it was sort of, so, so I was like, I won this ticket to go along with a contest that I would enter regularly. And then I went and I was like, Oh wow, this is amazing! Like they, they treat you like a VIP. Like it's just a really fun time. You're there with a bunch of other DFS players, uh, and it's just a it's a really good time. So then after that, I kind of I started chasing live finals a little bit. And unlike you, I have not had success. I have uh, a handful of second place finishes and zero first place finishes uh, to actually win live final seats. But I can kind of see after having that experience for the first time, I was like, yeah, this is this is pretty nice. I could I could get into this for sure. Uh, go into these events more often. But for me, I feel like if I just got one. Maybe that would be enough because, like, you just need one ticket to be invited to the event. Uh, it sounds like you always or you, you frequently go for multiple tickets. Is that something you always do or do you sometimes just think, like, okay, I've got a ticket, so now I can go to the event. This is enough for me. It, it depends a little bit on the contest. I, for the most part, I start trying to get a seat, and I say, well, I'm just going to try to get one. And, you know, I, I want to just get at least one, go on the trip, and that'll be enough, right? And then as soon as I've got one, I'm like, well, I got one. I'm, I'm going to be there anyway. I might as well try to get, you know, try to get as many as possible. But it, I actually do think, I think those first couple of live finals, I think I did actually take them much more seriously than everybody else because they were my first ones. And I actually think I, I looked up and looked at the qualifiers, and I saw, like, what did each of the people play to get here? And that would actually give me some guidance to what I wanted to do in the live final. So I actually remember that first live final, everybody was having a lot of fun and it was my first one. And I wanted my friends to have a lot of fun. 
but actually I was sitting just looking at baseball statistics and I, yeah, the whole time. And, and I was like looking at like, what did everybody else play to get here? And that actually led me to say, well, I'm actually going to play a little bit of a chalkier lineup because everybody did these like way off the board stacks to get here into this baseball final. I'm going to go with the chalky lineup, which ended up winning. Um, you know, so I, I, and now I probably take them a little bit less seriously now. And I probably should, you know, I, now I go, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to have a great time. You know, I should probably be a little bit more focused. You just won one a year ago. So I don't, I don't <laughs> think you've gone too far wrong. Right. Um, so you, uh, I'm just curious, uh, to these live finals. So I know you win one ticket, uh, you get to bring a guest, right? So if you win two tickets, do you get to bring three guests or how does that work? Exactly. Or you can generally cash in a second ticket for some kind of, you know, 60% or 80% of the, the travel expenses or something like that. I try to bring guests because I, you know, the sites throw these as, as marketing events really. And yeah. so they want a bunch of people there cheering. So if, if I can find people to go, I'll generally bring some friends along depending on the event. Okay. Yeah. I know you did a, a thread on Twitter at one point about you brought your children to the FanDuel sometimes will allow you to bring kids. DraftKings doesn't allow you to bring kids. I believe that was you, right? You, you've brought your kids to some yeah. of these events. Oh, so I, I have one daughter and I, one daughter. I it, it, it's funny because I, I brought her because I started going to FanDuel events first and I think I brought her a couple of FanDuel events and they're like, oh, you know, this is great. And then I took her to a DraftKings one. And I didn't realize it was 21 and over. And like, they're really strict <laughs> about that. <laughs> and, and like, so it was, it was just at the welcome reception and I, I brought her in and it was at a, it was at a club slash restaurant. Um, but I checked with the management to make sure, like, can I bring my daughter in? You know, she's, she's three years old and they're, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, as long as it's okay with the people throwing the event, it's fine. Um, I said, okay, great. And then I brought her into the welcome reception and they, they like kind of came over. You, know, you got to get her out of here. It's a, it's a legal drafting thing. So. Oh, that's a bummer. Huh? Well, uh, hope you, you know, had fun anyway, I guess. Uh, that's, that's a really all, that's brutal. A good time. Yeah. 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 Um, so one, <laughs> to, to bring things down a little bit more. So we, we've just uh, established that your daughter got kicked out of an event. Let's, let's get like really dark now. So one morbid <laughs> statement that you made on the theory of DFS podcast was that in these qualifier events where you have to qualify to be in the event, mathematically, you could expect that some of the people who have won tickets die before the event. Uh, I'm curious if that is something that you've actually seen play out in finals events where like there are empty lineups of people that you presume uh, could not participate for some reason. So, so it was kind of based off of two things. And one of them is actually kind of a, a sad thing. I, so the, the final I won, my first one, I actually, after I won it, you know, everybody's at the bar and, and celebrating, I'm walking around with a, a giant check. And I see one of my friends is talking to a woman for, for, you know, maybe 20 minutes. And I said, I asked him, like, oh, you know, who is, who is that? And it's like, oh, she, you know, she was asking about you. Did you, are you the person that won the contest? And it, it turns out that, you know, her husband had, had won a, a seat and had passed away before the, the contest. And wow. so she, she came out with like her sister and, you know, got some friends to put together a lineup and, and FanDuel, you know, supported them. And, and so that, it actually has happened. And it, I don't know, I'd, I'd check with FanDuel and DraftKings. It probably has happened more than once. Uh, when I, I referenced it on the Blender thing, it was actually, I, I once brought a friend out to a, a DraftKings final and he played a little bit of FanDuel basketball uh, on, the, on the app and he entered some qualifiers while we were, we were in San Francisco and he won like three tickets to a, a FanDuel like fantasy qualifier. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is so cool. Like if he won like these three, $300 tickets. And then the, the day of the qualifier, I looked at his lineups. They had the same three lineups. 
and asked him like, why would you, why would you enter the same lineup three times in a qualifier? He's like, oh, I just forgot. I forgot I won this place. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, but I, I do, I think it's true. Like people do, because yeah, they have satellites all the time, right? And I think people do forget about their satellite tickets or they just don't take it as seriously because they kind of think of it as a free entry or whatever. Right. So like, I think those contests are probably more positive value if you're entering a contest where like FanDuel or DraftKings has had satellites for, for a month. It's probably, you probably do see some dead lineups. Actually, I did look it up once with like the, the slams and on, in baseball and, and basketball, that there is a, a small, a single digit percentage of lineups that aren't filled out higher yeah. than a typical contest. And it could be death or it could just be people forget after a while. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I, I was actually really curious. Like I had never really thought about that before. So hearing you said, I was like, wow, that's, that's true. Probably there are people that sometimes die. And like, I wonder the site, if the sites get in touch with the relatives somehow, it sounds like at least this, uh, this one lady that you met, uh, either maybe she had access to her husband's email or something, but yeah. I'm curious how, how that all went down. But, uh, that is morbid and also kind of interesting to think about. Um, probably, probably not a huge edge that people should be chasing, but, uh, at least, uh, just an interesting little thought. Um, so getting back to a little bit of, of related, um, process or strategy in these live finals since you do do really well in them um, and you, you mentioned that you've studied lineups that people enter in live finals uh, and to get to live finals um, but in the live finals it's typically it's a small field contest with large potential payouts similar to high stakes contests um, and I'm curious if you have found that the lineups are and the lineups entered in those contests are similar to regular like high stakes contests and do you take the same approach to both you know a typical high stakes contest and a live final i do i mean yeah i'm gonna take the same approach to like say a, a smaller high stakes contest versus a live final the live final is interesting because you can actually just track the qualifiers so you can see like what lineup did each person use to get here and you know that's going to impact you know how they set their live final you know lineup um, and so it's like kind of this self-contained contest of, of people where you can just see, see the results from their previous contests. And I'll always look, like if, if somebody gets five seats early, like I'm going to look, like how are they doing this? Um, and so that gives me some, some guidance and I'm looking at it, right. Cause I want to see how they're doing it, but I also want to, if I have a seat already, I want to know like, what are they generally going to play? Like in baseball, are they always playing the chalky stack or are they, what are they doing? Are they playing with chalky pitcher? Are they playing really low price pitchers? And that might give me some insight to see like what they're going to set for their, for their live final lineup. And it's particularly the people that have multiple seats, then that's going to give me some idea of like what 10 or 15 or 20% of the contest is going to be, is going to be doing. And also I'll take a look and see like people who I've never heard of before, like what are they, what are they setting and to, to win a qualifier so that, yeah, it does. It, it gives me some, some insight. Yeah. And along those lines, now I'm just thinking about it. So I typically think of the qualifiers as being, you know, on, on DraftKings, it's typically like a 67 person contest. I mean, they, they run them of all sizes, big and small. Um, obviously the, the larger the contest, the lower the entry fee. Um, do you chase a certain type? Like, do, do you only play the higher stake entry fees or do you play whatever they have for qualifiers? It depends. I'm, I'm generally playing whatever whatever they have i actually remember the fantasy final for FanDuel in 2019 i was on such a hot streak that i i had one seat already and i played every single qualifier and the last qualifier they had a ten thousand dollar like heads up <laughs> it was like a ten thousand dollar for three man that was the only one that entered it and i didn't get the seat i actually thought like oh nobody else entered this i, I get the seat but no they just canceled it and, and re-ran it to go with a smaller <laughs> smaller uh, entry fee the, the following following day um 
but yeah, I'll, I'll, it depends on the contest. It depends on my bankroll. Like if I'm on a real hot streak, then I don't care. Like I'll, if I've got a bunch of money, then I'll, I'll put in, you know, $5,000 mega qualifier, I'll, I'll enter that. Uh, but I, I tend to do better. I think at the lower, the lower entry fees, right? Um, okay. I, I think particularly for baseball. Do you, do you think that's true? Like outside of qualifiers, like typically, are you better at large field GPPs than like you know the six seven hundred dollar buy in type stuff? Yeah, I think everyone is. I, I think everybody is better at, at the uh, the low dollar, you know, because I think that's a lot more recreational and casual players are playing like the the four dollar or the seven dollar entry fee entry fee yeah. contest. And so, if you really are, know what you're doing and you're you're making good lineups, like you are battling a bunch of not very good lineups. Whereas I, I think particularly now with sports betting taking off, I think you're seeing a lot less uh, you know, poor lineups in, in the high stakes. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely the same way. I excel in the large field GPPs and I have not had a lot of success uh, in the high stakes stuff. And obviously some players are able to translate their large field, GPs, large field GPP success to higher stakes stuff and are really good at that as well. But uh, for me, it's definitely, I find the uh, lower lower stakes large field GPPs just because the, the competition, as you say, is so much softer that I find it a lot easier. Um, and yeah, I guess that that probably is true for at least most players. I, I think of there as being some like uh, high stakes specialists out there, but there's not too many of them. And maybe those are all players that would, if they entered the large field stuff, do just as well there as well. Um, I guess it is a little bit of a different skill set. And so I actually, yeah. I think there are probably some guys that just do, like, you know, one lineup but they're really incorporating like the game theory aspects of it. And if they're entering that in high stakes, I could see that being successful, like depending on their, their skill at, at that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I think generally people are going to do better right at, at lower stakes. Let me take a quick break from this conversation with John Breslin so I can remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our DFS shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Osmo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Now, here's something that I've never had any experience in, and I know that you have, so I want to talk to you a little bit about State Kings. Um, if I had to guess, I'd guess that you're probably the winningest DFS player who has ever participated in State Kings, um, and if you're not, you're definitely close to it. Uh, so I'm curious if that is something that you are still participating in, and if you can describe a little bit what it is. Sure. Yeah. It actually, it caused a ruckus a, a few years ago for me. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I, I don't, I don't use it anymore. And so I think after my 2018 live final win, I think they contacted me and said, Hey, we'll, we'll do a special. You just, you know, won this, this, you know, final, we'll, we'll have you like a no, uh, no site fee contest. So you can charge like 10%, but we won't charge 10%. And, and that was a good deal for people. Yeah. And then I, I didn't use it again. So I think I maybe did it once or twice in 2018. Uh, and I, I got a little bit of money back, which means I was losing money on the contest, right? Uh, and then 2019. So what it is, is somebody just buys some of your equity in a, in a tournament. It can be like a live final qualifier. It can be a, a package of GPPs. I used to do like a package of my basketball entries on, on FanDuel or DraftKings for the night. It would, that would include the lower, lower entry fee contests packaged with like if I was entering the monster or something like that okay. or the 888 and uh and then but you the site charges a 10% markup and then as a, the player you can charge whatever markup you want 
And I used it again in a little bit in 2019, just doing like the base 20% markup. Because a lot of people just do like the site takes 10%, the player takes 10%, 20% markup. Yep. And then I, in late 2019, I started using it a little bit more for basketball because I was in a really bad run. I kind of like I described to the end of 2019, I did very poorly until basketball in 2019. And so I was like, I, I want to enter like, I want to max enter the 888 or I want to max enter the monster, but I really don't have the bankroll to lose. And like, I'm, it's like starting to, to weigh on me losing this money. So I'm going to put it on, on state Kings and it, it takes some of the risk away from, for the player. Uh, so, and it's, it's kind of fun for the, you know, people don't have to come up with a good lineup. They can just buy some of my hopefully good lineups, but I, I was charging that flat 20% and I didn't use rotor tracker yet. And I actually started using rotor tracker at the same time, like in early 2020. And my staking balance at that point was very negative. It was like a five figure negative balance. And I realized I was not charging anywhere near high enough markup and oh, no. for, for how well I did in, in FanDuel tournaments, just like particularly FanDuel basketball, low dollar tournaments. Like I, was, I had like a 45% ROI and that's why I had negative balance. So I set it an absurdly high markup for my live final, the, you know, kind of figuring it's like the culmination of the basketball season and these people that, you know, that have won money, if they want to buy some of them, like I only put 5% of the live finals uh, up there, but if they want to pay, you know, if they want to pay like 70% markup for my FanDuel basketball live final, you know, I've done really well, I've won a live final before. I'm one of the only guy with maximum seats or whatever, you know, if they want to pay 70%, they can. And some people really objected on, on Twitter. <laughs> it got into a little, little bit of a thing. I vaguely remember that being the case that there was some conversation going on. I didn't remember that that was, uh, that, that was why it was because you had such a high markup. Yeah, I just, as, as I was looking, uh, researching a little bit for this interview, I, it came up that you had done state kings. Um, and I like vaguely remembered that, but I, I had not seen you post recently. So I was curious if you were, uh, if you had just kind of stopped posting about it because you didn't want to have that conversation every day. But it sounds like you've stopped doing it recently. It did. And honestly, what happened is so the guys that were kind of getting on me about it, were guys that have like almost unlimited bankroll, right? And they they had no idea who I who I was, and and that that kind of angered me. And because I I felt like I've been doing really really well, and I you know like I'm the guy that has like the maximum number of, you know of, of qualifier seats. Like if anybody's charging this markup, it should be me. But I was I was doing the math a little bit wrong because of the the minimum payout. Like I was incorporating that thing like oh they're getting like a minimum twenty five percent, and and somebody pointed out on Twitter like no that you're not calculating that right. So it was it was too high. Uh, and I should have had like a cap in, in, on how much people should have bought, like could like a cap on how much they could could buy in at, at that markup. Yeah. Um, but it it angered me a little bit because I didn't have the I was a really good basketball DFS player, but I didn't have the bankroll to enter the higher stakes contest. Right. And the guys who were giving me a hard time, I felt like I could beat them, and, but they had an unlimited bankroll, and so they were just kind of saying, "Oh, this guy is scamming people. Don't you shouldn't be buying into his staking stuff." And that was kind of self-serving for them. Yeah, they didn't want you in their contest. Exactly. Like if, if I didn't have the stakings money, I couldn't enter those contests and, and beat them. <laughs> um, and you know, those guys like are successful DFS players that you know don't know who I am still, and they you know they've got unlimited bankroll. So you okay. know, but but I did. I, I it was maybe it was something that made me very angry. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung. 
more wow than ever. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay. Well, so with that in mind, uh, would you recommend uh, that people do buy, that, that people buy percentages of other players on stakings? Do you think that it is a good deal or could be a good deal for people who want to buy into uh, DFS pros or people who you know put themselves up on stakings? And what should they look for in a DFS player before buying into them on stakings? So mathematically, it might not be a good, it, it depends on the markup, right? It depends on the markup that the player is, is charging. Uh, one, I always thought like the math on this, that isn't necessarily working out for the players, right? For the people buying in. But then I have people say to me, you know, I like buying your packages on State Kings because I can't win at DFS, but you can. And all they want is something to come home and after a long day at work and, and follow basketball and FanDuel and, and DraftKings, but they were getting slaughtered. But yeah. if they bought my, you know, if they bought, instead of buying a $10 entry fee on FanDuel or DraftKings, they can pay $10 or $11 or whatever for my $10 entry fee. And now they've got a much better fighting chance. So it could be worth it for them, but I would say, you know, you want to look at, at who you're buying from, what are their past results and what is the market that they're charging? And are you putting in an amount of money that's going to be entertaining for you to follow that night on, on when you're watching basketball? Okay. So what I'm hearing is that you're saying it can be an entertainment vehicle, but not necessarily a financial uh, investment that you would recommend. It's more of a, you want to have some fun. It might be more, it might be better for somebody to, to give $10 to someone like you than to enter a lineup that they would put in themselves with no research. Is that kind of what yeah. I'm hearing that you think it's more, more entertainment than investment? Yeah. So it's interesting because there's actually a whole crowd of people out there that play DFS just for entertainment, right? We, we don't think that way because if you win money at it, you start thinking like in terms of ROI and percentages and contest selection, there's a bunch of guys out there that just want something to follow at night. And you know, so yeah, it should be entertainment value. Like DFS is entertainment for most people because most people lose money at it, but that's, that's what they get out of it is something to follow at night or something to think about during the day at their office, you know, when they don't want to be thinking about work. So yeah, it is, it's, it's an entertainment vehicle. And, and I liked that idea that it was, it kind of made DFS a little bit of a sport that people are following, right? Like yeah. people are rooting on Scroll Patrol, right? Instead of yeah. instead of rooting on the Knicks or whatever. So yeah, it's entertainment. It's like a little bit of a community there. That's kind of fun. Um, so what about for DFS pros? Would you would you recommend it to other DFS pros to put themselves up on state games? Yeah, if if they want the bankroll, it actually really worked for me the way it was supposed to work. Really, until the ruckus, right? Where I. I had skill, but I didn't have a bankroll that matched my skill because I really, I just started with 
you know, with a smaller bankroll than most, than a lot of the successful DFS players. And I really just turned that and turned it and turned it until it was something pretty big. But I mean, the variance can really still get to you. Yep. So, you know, if, if you want to, like, let's say you're somebody that has, can afford to put a few entries into the monster or the 888, but you would really like to, to max it out. And you can put that on state kings and you're charging a markup, maybe a hopefully commiserate with what your past results are. And that's giving you the bankroll to then enter those larger contests and, and give you your shot. Okay. Yeah. Seems like a potentially good idea. I can see the, the merits to it for sure. I can see why you would enter it. Um, yeah, I definitely, I don't see too many pros doing it. I, I, there are a few people that I follow on Twitter that I see are regularly posting on state kings. So I, you know, it's sort of something that I've looked at a little bit. I don't think that I'll be doing it, um, but I can definitely see the merits to it. Um, I haven't, about, I haven't looked at it in a, in a while. I yeah. probably haven't looked at it in, in over a year. Okay. So not not something that you're interested in doing right now, maybe maybe in the future, but uh, not not currently part of your process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really did like the idea of, I like the idea of like DFS as a sport itself. Yeah, it's a fun idea. Yeah. And people like people investing and, and putting money on almost like sports betting on DFS players. Like I yeah. thought that was an interesting concept. And I, that was one of the things that attracted me to it. Uh, and I, if I go back to it, it would probably be it, you know, for that, for that reason. It's, uh, it reminds me of uh, Whistles Go Woo brought up on Twitter uh, going into the Tournament of Champions this year. The idea that DraftKings should have a contest uh, where you pick who is going to win the Tournament of Champions. So like doing, you know, contests related to other DFS contests where it's, you know, like golf, you're picking a winner, you know, six, six players from the pool. Yeah. Um, that would be kind of a fun concept. It'd be, be fun to find different ways to kind of gamify DFS, I think, uh, is kind of what you're trying to do there. It's and interesting. I, I've talked to FanDuel and DraftKings about that and said, you guys should do this. And they've, they've always said no, because for one reason, uh, they think the salaries like, would piss off yep, the, the for players, sure. right? Um, and uh, and they don't want to piss off like their best customers, but also, yep. and I know like whistles go is the geese. He's got like five seats and he wants to win this final. And I, when I've had a bunch of seats to, to live finals, I've thought, like, why don't you guys put together this contest? There's maybe like a dozen people that are, would actually be interested in it. Right. right, right. Like, there's really, or maybe like, maybe like a hundred. It, it really wouldn't be as appealing, unfortunately, as, as you might think when you're the guy sitting there with like five or, or seven qualifier seats. Right, right. Yeah, just just a fun thing to think about, I guess. Um, so talking about the, let's talk about the state of DFS just a little bit, because you had sort of, I don't know if, I don't think you were trying to have a hot take, but you had a take on uh, your your interview with Blender. So it was over a year ago, just a little bit over a year ago at this point, uh, but I thought it was kind of a hot take. You suggested that it was possible that the field is actually getting worse in large field GPPs um, because DraftKings and FanDuel have been adding sports betting. And so new people, new customers have been coming in and they've been, you know, kind of entering DFS and potentially watering down the field a little bit. Uh, I'm curious if you still think that that's something that might be going on or if your, your stance has changed. And I don't know if you said definitively that you believed it was happening. You just yeah. posited that you thought it might be happening. So I'm curious what your stance is at this point. I think it's a possibility. I think, I think it could go either way. I do think that, that sports betting is impacting DFS. I think, I, th I think particularly at the higher stakes, but I, I don't know for sure. Like I, it just feels like the higher stakes are getting much sharper. And I, anecdotally, I think there's people in like, say New York, right. Who they used to do a FanDuel lineup or a DraftKings lineup, but now they're just going to come home and they're going to put $500 on the Knicks, right. Or a hundred dollars on the Knicks. So like maybe they were in a hundred dollar contest 
it, you know, relatively high stakes to me, a couple hundred dollars, and they would put together a crappy lineup. But now, now they're not doing that anymore, right? They just want to have $200 on the Knicks or $200 on the Nets. So I do think, I think sports betting is making a TFS more difficult in, in general. Okay. Um, but at the lower stakes, I think it's probably felt a little bit less. Okay, interesting. So, so you think more difficult the higher stakes, less difficult at the lower stakes? I, I believe that that would make sense to me. Um, and, and more generally, just following up on that, do you think the days of DFS player being a viable profession are numbered for any number of reasons, or do you think that is something that you'll still be able to do it in ten years potentially? It, it's an interesting thought. I don't know. I'm I'm probably going to go back to a full time job this year. I think. Uh, oh. just, you know, I think personally and professionally, I guess the timing is right, uh, probably more towards like this fall for me to, to go back to a full-time job. Like my daughter will, will be entering elementary school. Um, okay. is, you know, one, one reason is it's been like three years, over three years, three and a half years. And I, I don't want to totally lose my skills. Um, like I've got like security clearance expires and stuff if I don't use it. So I, so I think towards the end of this year, I think I'll be going back to a full-time job, like full-time okay. consulting role. Um, but you know, cause for other people, I think particularly if you actually focus on the lower stakes, I think there's probably always going to be some money there that you can win consistently, but it, it's tough. It's a question of is your skill level and ROI enough at the low stakes entries enough to sustain you for the year? And my guess is it probably is uh, for, for most people. Like I think you could still probably make six figures consistently. Uh, maybe not consistently, like, but six figures like over, over time, yeah. you know. Um, and, but that's, like, that's a kind of a nerve wracking life saw right? Cause if, if you don't make the six figures that year, um, you know, that's, it's tough. It, being at the FS pro is tough, right? Cause you, when you're working a full-time job and you win a contest, it's like, I got free money, right? Right. When you're, when you've quit your job and you win a contest, it's like, well, I, I need to do this. Like, it's no longer a celebration. It's like, you know, unless, unless you like hit a million maker or you hit a live final win. It's no longer really a celebration. It's something you have to do. It's a relief, I, yeah. So, I mean, so, and that, that is mentally a very difficult thing. Um, so I, I still think it's a viable profession. I, I, I think about, like, poker. I, there's a lot of analogies with DFS and poker. Like, poker was invented, you know, 1850 or something. It was probably, like, people went hog wild for 10 years playing poker. And then, like, in 1860 or whatever, they're probably like, oh, this is dead. You know, <laughs> like, nobody's ever going to do this. But like, it, it ebbs and flows. I, I think DFS, as long as, like, the regulatory environment holds up, like, I think, I, I, I see no reason why it would die. But I, you know, how much of a living can you make consistently? I would I would focus on the, the lower stakes. And I, yeah. I think there'll, there'll always be something there. And who knows? In in five years, it could this could go away. But in five years, it could see a renaissance, too. So who knows? Okay, so that was unexpected for me, uh, for you to say that you think you're going to be going back to full-time work uh, in the fall. What what kind of work uh, will you be going back to? So I did IT project management beforehand. I'll, I'll probably go back to something similar. Although I before you know before I quit my job, I was doing HR software, and I I would probably focus more on like data analytics and data science because that just fits in with the the DFS. Like yeah, I got, like I'll take some of the skills I. I gained from DFS and, and apply that to a job. I, I've always thought I've had this discussion on Twitter too. Um, and I think I had it with like petty theft, uh, who I've, I've never talked to him about, you know, in person, but, um, about, I think the skills you need to have to be a successful DFS player are actually very high paying skills. So a lot of people would just be better served 
getting a full-time job with benefits than they're trying to play DFS full-time. Now, obviously, like you just won a million dollars. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe, I don't know, but it depends. But, but I'd also argue like, you don't necessarily need to be, and it gets back to the 80 hours a week thing. Like depending on your job, you can probably do your job and also you know, get off at 5.30 and enter your, your NBA lineups, your MLB lineups. So you don't necessarily, like, I don't think I'm going to quit playing DFS. I just think I'm going to go back to getting a full-time job. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you think it will affect your DFS play at all? I think you'll play any lower volume or think you're going to keep up about what you've been doing? I'll probably, I'll probably do lower. Like, I mean, this is all you know, hypothetical, but I would probably play lower volume. Um, okay. And, but it, it really depends on my bankroll. Like I'll, I'll see, see how things go. Um, I, I'll still go after the live final, final qualifiers most likely. Um, and that actually takes a lot of bankroll. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't, I don't necessarily have a plan. All right. Well, John, I know that you need to get going pretty soon, but I want to close it out with one final question. Uh, we got pretty dark there in the middle, but close it out with something happy. Uh, so you've had success both at live finals and in regular GPPs. I'm curious if you generally prefer live final wins or wins from the comfort of your own home, and if you can tell me about your favorite celebration. Sure. I, I, I'll try not to get emotional about it, right? Um, but I, I, I think the wins, people have asked me, like, did it, bother you that you won this final and you had this incredible finish sitting at home and it actually did not because I actually felt like it did not change my life as much as the first wins I had in 2015 and 2016 like those first like basketball wins where you would win like 20,000 or $50,000 and like that changed my life like I had a bunch of student loans like I was probably probably like negative net worth you know with my student loans like mortgage and like winning like $20,000 I can pay off like a student loan with this. And I would always like have my dog next to me when I would win the, uh, the, the, the those early contests, right? Like my wife would go to bed at like 10 PM basketball ends at, at like midnight. My dog's like curled up on the couch and he, and he passed away in, in 2019. And when I, I won the, the live final in, you know, in 2021 with, with FanDuel, um, you know, it was late at night and it, it took me back to those, those first wins, like the wins that really changed my life. Um, and I, you know, and there was a picture of my dog there. I was like, buddy, like, 
there was a timeout at 145 left in the last game, and I was clear I was going to win. I was like, buddy, still looking at this picture, like, you would not believe what we just did. Um, yeah, like, it took me back to those days in, like, 2016. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was that was probably my favorite celebration. You know, obviously winning $700,000. Um, and it didn't bother me that it was at home because it, it felt very circular, you know, from those early contests, winning those. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I'll say, like, going out to San Diego in, in 2018, you know, winning winning the live final with all of my friends there. Like that, and it was totally unexpected. And that was, like, probably my best, you know, my best party and celebration, right? Like I was, I was walking down the streets of San Diego with the giant check. There's pictures yeah. of me. Like, excuse me, you know, <laughs> like I got to get through with this giant check. Um, you know, so that was uh, my my favorite, you know, big party and celebration. Uh, winning a live final in person, I think. Okay. Do Do you think that it's a coincidence that uh, your favorite win is also the one where you won the most the most money? <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, yeah, no, of, of course not. Um, but it, I will say, like, it really it didn't change my life, which says, you know, I've, I've had a successful DFS career. You know, I had already paid off my loans um, and, you know, paid off the cars and everything, right? And so, so the, I, I would actually say maybe my favorite celebrations really were those first ones in 2015 and 16. Now that I really think about it, like those ones changed my life. And yeah. those are the ones that gave me then the bankroll to enter a little bit more contests and then eventually, you know, quit my job and, and do this professionally for, for some amount of time. So for years, right? So I think like, Probably my favorite celebrations, you know, really are those ones, you know, sitting on the couch, having a scotch or having a beer, you know, with my dog sitting next to me being like, man, I just, I just won $20,000 playing fantasy sports. Like that is yep. never going to get old. That's why probably why DFS, as long as, as, as long as it's legal, right? Like it's going to keep going because that is an unbelievable feeling when it happens for the first time. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. Those early ones, when it's just like it's so life changing early on, and then eventually you've you've won enough that it you know doesn't change your life quite as much. Like now you're you're used to it a little bit. It doesn't you, you don't have the same loans you need to pay off. So I think that makes sense that the early ones uh, kind of hold a special place for you. They they do for me as well. Um, well, thanks again to John Breslin for joining me on episode six of High Stakes and to Mike Lawrence for producing. You'll be able to catch episode seven of High Stakes next week at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, the Osmo YouTube channel, or wherever you can find your podcast. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.